It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Welcome to another edition of the IDP Corner. My name is Justin Varnes. You can follow me on Twitter at DownWithIDP. I'm one of two IDP analysts over at FantasyPoints.com. And with me, as always, is our second and better half of our IDP analyst section, Mr. Thomas Simons. Thomas, it's like um, 5 a.m. where you live, isn't that right? Hey, Mo, it's week 13. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's a little early here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I've got toothpicks holding my eyelids up. Uh, Harry, well, listen, we're gonna uh, we're gonna get this in. We're recording this early Friday morning. Uh, Thomas had a pretty uh, busy schedule last night. I got to catch a little of the game. I don't know if you did, but you want to dive into what we saw last night? If you saw anything? Yeah, I mean, I I saw a little bit of the game, um, and I did notice that Tre'Davious White saw some significant playing time when I looked at the stat sheet today. Um, he, he had, I think he took 61% of the bills, 54 defensive snaps. It's good to see that he's returned to the lineup and is playing more and more. Now he finished with four total tackles. He had three solos and an assist with a pass defended. Now I did notice the Patriots started the game with, um, six defensive backs. Now they use six or seven DBs for 45% of their 75 defensive plays last night. And an eighth DB took 37%. So they were, they were trying to stop or at least contain Josh Allen's passing game and, the he while he did have 223 yards passing and then they did contain him to where he didn't throw for 350 400 yards he did throw for two touchdowns and he managed the ball well outside of one strip sack that he never saw coming so new england did in essence show the league a way to to contain josh allen's passing but they still won it sure did. And uh, one of the ways they did win was they uh, pivoted to the run, maybe more so than usual. We saw, you know, it, it typically uh, Buffalo sits uh, on the higher end of the pass to run ratio. Uh, if you have a quarterback like Josh Allen, that's probably what you're going to do. Um, but uh, this week we did see a lot more rushes, particularly in the second half. Well, one of the things that was interesting about the game is um, the Bills dominated time of possession on a two to one ratio. So the Patriots only uh, Patriots offense was only on the field for about 20 minutes. And that's just that's just not going to lead to many tackles. So if you had uh, a Bills IDP, you probably came away uh, from the game disappointed. But uh, these are the kind of games that will happen. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds had six tackles. Seems like a low number, and it is, but it led the team. Jordan Poyer had five. Matt Milano had five. Teron Johnson had four. DeMar Hamlin, somebody we've loved using lately, uh, the other safety had four tackles. It was just one of those games where there wasn't a lot of production. Part of that is because the Bills got out. It's interesting. The game finished 24 to 10, and it was 24 uh, 7, you know, up, up until toward the end of the game. Uh, uh, um, in, in the fourth quarter, like the last two minutes, they kicked a field goal to make it 24 10. But I saw something on Twitter that I think encapsulated the game. It said, um, I forgot who put it. I'm sorry, I'm not able to credit them, but it, it said, uh, 
the Bills lead 24 to 7, but it feels like 139 to 7. Like it, <laughs> they dominated the game and just did not leave many offensive snaps for the Patriots. And that's going to affect the, the numbers on the other end. Now, the flip side to that, these, all of these extra rushes from the Bills that we weren't uh, used to seeing, that created the inverse effect for the Patriots. We had Devon Godshaw led the team with eight, with 10 total tackles. Um, uh, Josh Uch had seven. Jawan Bentley had five. Obviously, they always get their DBs involved. Uh, Jonathan Jones had eight tackles. But, you know, if you started Devon Godshaw, he racked up 10 tackles because he was on the field a ton, and the Bills ran it a lot more than we expected. And this sort of uh, explanation hopefully helps, you know, you guys not panic on Poyer or uh, Tremaine Edmonds. This was just a game flow issue. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the the run pass ratio. Um, the the Bills ran four more times than they pass, and that's unusual considering they usually run forty two percent of the time and pass fifty eight percent of the time. So this was a, a change for the Bills uh, as the Patriots threw. You know, they they adjusted to the Patriots uh, coming at them with six or seven DBs uh, for a good portion of the game. All right, let's move on to Week Thirteen. Yeah, I, I'm going to start with the Houston Texans. They fell behind by 30 points at halftime last week against the Miami Dolphins. And once they that happened, they abandoned their running game, finishing with just four rushing attempts. Four of those rushing attempts were by their quarterback, which was scrambles. Now, while tackle numbers were sparse for the Miami Dolphin IDPs, they did record five sacks among five different IDPs, including Bradley Chubb. Yeah, nice to see Bradley Chubb uh, get involved. Um, so I, I wanted to move on and talk a little bit about uh, what's happening in Atlanta in terms of the linebacker situation. Michael Walker started the year as an every-down linebacker. As the year went on, it was uh, Rashawn Evans who's, who's been – the more of the primary tackle producer and something we've seen over the last couple of weeks that was, that really kind of took hold last week was that Walker has been losing snaps to, uh, to Troy Anderson. So um, a little bit here and there is not a big deal, but last week we saw a, a pretty big change. Now, there were also a good amount of three linebacker, you know, base sets out of out of these guys. But regardless, Walker played sixty eight percent, and Troy Anderson played fifty eight percent. While of course Rashawn Evans played one hundred percent. Evans, of course, led the team in tackles with thirteen. If you have uh, Michael Walker, he still had nine tackles. So you might not have been aware, had you not been able to watch the game, that he came off the field a third of the time. So those nine tackles may look like a pretty solid game from him, but it is worrisome going forward that he may not be able to keep that kind of pace if he doesn't earn a bigger role going forward. You know, as long as Pete Werner with an ankle injury remains out, then Caden Ellis is a must-play for the uh, New Orleans Saints uh, as an IDP linebacker. Uh, he led the team again with 13 total tackles last week. Um, he he finished with 10 solos and three assists. Um, this was against the 49ers. And Ellis is not, he's not a big playmaker, but he will give you seven to 10 total tackles a game. And and Werner had surgery on his ankle in mid-November. While he didn't go on IR and could return before the end of the regular season, Ellis is pretty much a good play, at least for the next two or three games. We're going to stick with our linebackers. This will be uh, uh, several linebackers in a row. I promise we're not going to just talk about linebackers, but I have I have a couple more I, w- I want to mention. Uh, some Someone we've obviously 
drafted highly and uh, been watching carefully as he's moved to a new team, and that's Raquan Smith. Now, Smith, uh, since joining Baltimore, has five, seven, and eight tackles. That's not bad. But it's certainly not the LB one. I mean, he was a top five, top three LB uh, when he was playing with Chicago. So, I mean, after this trade happened, I I went on Twitter and I mentioned that Baltimore's scheme hasn't produced an LB one in years. Now, are they going to adjust their scheme if you're going to bring in someone like Roquan Smith? Absolutely. And they have adjusted it. Thomas, you have you've you've talked about that a little bit before about how they've integrated Smith next to. Um, Patrick, uh, Patrick Queen, Queen. Yeah. Uh, and so both of them are fairly productive, but neither of them are putting up, you know, 12, 14 tackles. So uh, it is certainly a concern. This was one of the things we were worried about. And three weeks in, it does look like it's going to be difficult for Roquan Smith to be that 12 to 15 tackle guy you drafted him as. Uh, have you seen that too, in terms of their split? Cause it seems like they're kind of cutting into each other's value. I, I feel like it's raised Queen's value and obviously lowered yes. Smith's value. I agree. I, I see it as being that Queen's value has raised. Um, Smith's value has lowered a tiny bit because people are used to Smith posting those 12, 13 t- total tackle games. Whereas being next to Roquan, uh, being next to Patrick Queen, they're both in this past game, they both combined for 14 total tackles. So it's a two headed monster there that isn't really going to give you the top end stud linebacker one numbers, but they're going to be respective numbers. I mean, they both took all, I think it was 65 defensive snaps um, that the defense of the ball, the Ravens defense was on the field for. So you're going to see a, a, an even share. And two weeks ago, we talked about this and it was queen who had more tackles than Smith, but they were very close. And and you're going to find that's going to be the case. Now I'm going to move away from the linebackers and talk about Nick Bosa. Um, he's, he's been quietly having a, I wouldn't say quietly because you, you kind of expect this of Bosa, but he's recorded, he recorded another sack in week 12 and he, he now has one or more sacks in five consecutive outings. And he has at least one or more in all, but one of his 10 games this year. Now Bosa has 11 and a half sacks on the season, but they're not, they're not headlining sacks. Um, most people are sitting there saying, well, that's just Bosa. They were expect that of him. But considering that the previous uh, year of, of injuries that really took Bosa out of the IDP limelight, it's nice to see Nick Bosa start producing again for that 49er defense. Yeah, you make a great point, Thomas, because we just assume he is going to be great. And, um, you know, he's obviously been been injured uh, last season. And, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's making many highlight reels what he's doing. But if you consider that he already is at basically you know, 12 sacks uh, on this season, um, and if you consider that in terms of the the elite edge rushers, yeah. Uh, Aaron, you know, and I know Aaron Donald's not technically an edge rusher, but elite pass rushers, right? Aaron Donald seems to ha- have slowed down this year. He doesn't look like he's on pace for one of those, you know, 20 sack seasons. Uh, we've got um, his brother, Joey Bosa, is out. We've had, you know, Von Miller just, just went on the hour. It seems like um, uh, just having a steady elite um, DL, a DL1, those, you know, we might have had 
you know, eight to 10 coming into the season, but it's kind of looking like, you know, four to six all of a sudden. And so if you've got Nick Bosa, you're, you actually have more of a positional advantage than you might realize at this point. Yeah. And you, you mentioned, you make a good point on the, on the sacks being down this year. I mean, you've got guys like Matthew Judon and Micah Parsons leading the way with 13 and 12 sacks going into before yesterday's game. And, you know, Bosa sitting there at number three at 11 and a half with Max Crosby at 10 and a half. We're not seeing the 18, 19, close to 20 sacks uh, as we've seen in the past. Now, granted, we still have quite a few games left. We, we still have enough uh, games to boost those numbers. But it's it's going to have to be a rush to the end to, to get even close to those numbers. All right. So, so you want to want to move on? Gonna, or? No, I was going to. Yeah, I was going to mention there, there's something going on with Carolina. I think that you wanted to mention. Yeah. So uh, we had talked recently about how Jeremy Chin is back. Um, and, uh, you know, you should obviously be starting him if you got him or picking him up for the waiver wires. I've noticed that his waiver wire numbers are a little lower than they should be. This is a, this is a, um, somebody we expect to be a DB one and it's, you know, last week or two weeks ago, he had 10 total tackles last week. However, he just had one tackle. Uh, and so that looks alarming, but, uh, just going through it, uh, number one, he played every snap. Uh, number two, the Carolina defense only racked up 45 tackles. That number should be in the like 60s for, for most teams, right? So with only 45 tackles to go around, and remember that they played an inept Denver offense. Denver just basically did absolutely nothing. So, um, you know, if, if, if your offense doesn't move the ball down the field, uh, you're not going to get many tackle opportunities. And that's, I think, what we saw with Chin also – in a game like that, they can play, um, uh, you know, a, a little bit more deep safety and just basically uh, know that because Russell Wilson is struggling and the run game is struggling, uh, they don't necessarily have to have to be so aggressive. So Chen played deeper, you know, uh, more so last week. So I think those are just weird, you know, just just a, just a bad game. Every IDP has those kind of games. You have twelve tackles and ten tackles and eight tackles, and then there's always that one week where that where you know, so, you know, some great linebacker has three tackles and it's just how it happens. Now, uh, the other thing I want to mention is that Chen's buy is this week, which means a lot of people are going to drop him. So if you if you can grab Chen and stash him this week, I, I think yes. he's got value going forward. Definitely. And and you mentioned the fact that with Denver and Russell Wilson, the, the Broncos only ran the ball 19 times and they passed almost twice as many times with Wilson heaving it 35 times. So with Chin's success and IDP fantasy success being in the box, it's more um, of a, a matchup situation that created this problem for, uh, in regards to his having a l- low scoring fantasy week because of the fact they only ran it 19 times and you know Wilson scrambled a few times Kendall Hinton ha- had a an end around I think that, that ran for 13 yards so they most of the the running was very limited and that affected uh, Chin tremendously I'm going to go back to linebackers who knew <laughs> and speak about Devin White. This, this this guy just continues to be rock solid IDP option. We we had our our going into the through the summer. We talked about Devin White and had concerns about him, and most of those concerns have been 
I would say wiped away as he continues to to lead the team. He had uh, 13 total tackles last game, uh, eight solos and five assists, and he recorded half a sack with a quarterback hit and a pass defended. He's posting good, solid tackle numbers on a weekly basis, but he's also adding big plays, and that's the key to, to White's success this year. Yeah, the big plays has certainly been something that's that's helped him in the past. Um, one of the other things is that is that Tampa's defense, uh, you know, wasn't playing as many snaps uh, as they had, you know, in, in previous years. So as we've talked with Bobby Wa- about with uh, about Bobby Wagner and a few other players, you know, if your defense is getting off the field, you know, after only like fifty snaps, you're you know you're not going to have terrible numbers, but you're just not going to see those consistent. Right you know, 12, 13 tackle games. So one of the things that's happened is because Tampa Bay's offense has been struggling a little bit, we've seen a, a slight uptick in snaps, and that's really has helped White kind of get over that that hump, if you will. Um, I mentioned um, uh, coming in that, that uh, you know, to last week uh, in my weekend preview that the Cincinnati O-line was going to probably have a good game against Derrick Henry and the run-heavy Titans last week, and and that is what we saw. B.J. Hill, a defensive tackle, had um, seven tackles. Sam Hubbard, somebody who we rely heavily on tackles, he had six tackles and a sack. Uh, really good game, and they're obviously really good players, but it was also a function of the run heavy offense they were facing. Well, this week the Titans are facing Philly. So now we're going to look at the Eagles deep defensive line. And what's tricky about the Eagles defensive line is they were already a fairly heavily rotating line, but now they've added two veterans and then Damakin Sue uh, and uh, well, they all, and they, uh, you know, they added Robert Quinn even bef- before that they have Linval Joseph and, and, uh, and Damakin Sue that they just added. So, and that's how Philly likes to run their defensive line. They like to rotate a lot of players. So there's a lot of um, tackle opportunity coming their way this week. Let's zero in on some of the players who generally have the highest and most consistent snap counts on this Eagles D-line. And that's going to be Javon Hargrave and Hassan Reddick. If you have those two players, you're probably already using them a fairly amount. They've been very productive for us this year. This could be a really big game for both of them. And speaking of those um, veterans that they've signed, uh, I've been watching how those two defensive tackles, uh, Joseph and Sue, work their way into the lineup around the uh, incumbent defensive tackles and being uh, not only Javon Hargrave but also Fletcher Cox. Uh, One thing is the Eagles – Remember, they, ha- they had uh, Jordan Davis before he went down with an injury. They like to run five-man fronts, so they will load up on three defensive tackles. Uh, the question is who comes off the field uh, when we go into more of a, a, a four-down lineman or a three-down lineman situation. It looks so far that Fletcher Cox is still staying on the field uh, over the other two uh, um, uh, veteran defensive tackles. So it's a, a lot of Hargrave and Cox still. We are getting Linval Joseph involved. He's got 61% last week. And Dominican Sue, which is great to have him on the, on, on the field in a veteran presence, he only played 37% of the snaps. So I'm, I think that Hargrave, because of those five down linemen uh, sets, Hargrave's snaps aren't going to necessarily be too affected by these two veteran defensive tackles. And it looks like 
so far that Fletcher Cox is still getting a, a good workout as well. So I'm happy to start Hargrave and Reddick this week. I'm also fine to start um, Fletcher Cox in a little bit of a deeper, deeper leagues. And of course, you know, uh, if you need to start Josh Sweat, I think he's got a good, good chance as well this week. You mentioned the, the fact that there's a uh, heavy run oriented offense with the Titans and you know, they're ranked fourth. I believe that they're tied for fourth in percentage for um, run versus pass. And they're tied with Philadelphia. So both teams run the ball 54% of the time. And that's going to create some opportunities uh, for tackles along both defensive um, IDPs. And with Tennessee, if you're thinking about playing Tennessee IDPs because of this ratio, be careful because uh, Danico Autry and uh, Jeffrey Simmons are both haven't practiced yet going into Friday, so they may not play this week. And if that's the case, then guys like David Long could end up benefiting the most out of this because of the, the, the lack of, of beef up front or the starters being absent. Now, I worked at Seahawks game with the, the Raiders last week, and wow, that was just – talk about gut-wrenching for Seahawks fans. and the Seahawks came into the game and they wanted to contain Devonte Adams and Josh Jacobs. Well, they contained Adams and held him to just 74 yards and no touchdown, but Jacobs just ate them alive. <laughs> he had over 300 total uh, yards in the game. He had 228 rushing, uh, 220. Yeah. 228 rushing yards on 33 attempts. Now, granted, Jacobs got nearly 38% of his rushing yards on that last play of the game, which was an 86-yard overtime uh, touchdown run. But he also added 74 yards on six receptions. Now, maybe drafting a quarterback in the first round next year for the Seahawks is not such a good idea. <laughs> um, I liked how you had to uh, double clutch when you saw the 229 rushing yards. Yeah, <laughs> is that right? It was like, what? What? <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to shift us back to uh, to linebackers. Uh, we've had back-to-back weeks now of Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa as the primary linebacker in Cleveland. He's played almost every snap, and he's led the, the, the team in tackles both weeks. Sione Takitaki is playing about 70-ish percent now. Remember, he was the every-down linebacker while uh, Koromoa was still uh, um, recovering from injury. But before Koromoa was uh, an every-down player earlier this season, he was struggling to stay on the field. So um, to see back-to-back weeks of him basically being the primary linebacker gives us a lot more confidence that going forward, uh, he's somebody that we can rely on. Uh, and again, Deion Jones was barely a factor um, playing under 50% of the snaps. So, um, you know, this situations like this really can still change every week, but we look for trends. We look for um, uh, history. You know, it, this all makes sense. They want Owusu Koromoa to be their primary linebacker. He now injury wise is healthy. Other um, Browns linebackers are not healthy. He's been thrust into the spotlight. Taki Taki is a solid player, but probably not somebody they want to be their every down linebacker. And it does look like Deion Jones is, you know, just, he just doesn't have it anymore. There's no way they would leave him off the field if they really thought he was the most talented of, the, of this, uh, this, this trio. Indeed. You know, when we've talked a little bit about Deion Jones transition to the Browns and, and that was a major concern that we had, maybe that, Atlanta wasn't more that 
it wasn't a, a non-fit in their system more than it was a you're just losing it kind of thing. So it, it's it's an eye opener for sure, um, and it's going to be interesting to see how the Browns uh, move forward next year. Uh, I'm going to go back to the secondary and talk about Taylor Rapp on the Rams. He led the team with 12 total tackles last week. He had seven solos, five assists, but he came away with no big plays. And, and in fact, the entire Rams defense collected just one INT all day. They had three p- passes defended and two QB hits, but that was it. Nothing else. Now, this is kind of concerning when you're you're if you're in a big scoring, or I mean, a big play scoring system then the Rams IDPs are not going to be producing for you. And now that we'll mention this in a second about them losing another uh, defensive IDP. Um, And this game this week is supposed to be a revenge game for Bobby Wagner against the Seattle Seahawks. Well, I just don't see that being the case. I I think that, yes, Wagner's going to be pumped. Wagner's going to put up probably 10 to 12 total tackles against his former team. I'm almost positive that I would say 90% of those tackles are going to be beyond the line of scrimmage as he's been all year long. So they may even, the Seahawks know Wagner really well, and they may find a way to expose him in, in the Rams defense that is right now currently on its heels. All right, we're going to wrap up this segment uh, discussing another linebacker switch. Uh, this one's in Jacksonville. Chad Muma has, uh, looks like he's effectively replaced uh, fellow rookie Devin Lloyd next to Foyer Aluakon. Uh, concerning Mo- too. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's funny, you know, you know, uh, Thomas, you and I had uh, um, some conversations uh, on our podcast in the in the offseason when they drafted both Lloyd and Muma. Uh, and we had discussed how, you know, it was it would likely be Lloyd uh, who gets the first crack at it. But basically don't sleep on Chad Muma because he does have Correct. He, he does have some developing to do. But but the but the tools, the, you know, the assets are there. So last week, Muma took 100 percent of the snaps. He had nine tackles. Lloyd played 38 percent of the uh, uh, snaps and had two tackles. They basically used um, Devin Lloyd only in their base down or three da- three linebacker packages. So now. Does this mean again? We're going. To, this is to be similar to what happened with the Browns. Does this mean this is set in stone going forward? No, but it, it definitely means you can't use Lloyd until something obvious changes. I'm fine to start Chad Muma. One of the things uh, that makes a lot of sense, and we talked about this with the Browns. You know, you you look for why it happened. You look for these peripheral events. You know, to make this happen. One of the things uh, to note here is that this switch happened during the bye week. And that's a fairly common thing. If a defensive coordinator is looking at some issues and they know the, the install of something new might, you know, is going to take more than the handful of practices they have before their next opponent, they start eyeing the bye week to make any sort of major change like that. So the fact that Muma came out of the bye week as, as the leader there makes me think this was a long time coming or not a long time, but this is likely something the Jags have been contemplating for a while and probably earmarked the bye week as the chance to do it, which gives me more confidence that Muma will be the guy here. At least he'll get a shot for the next couple of weeks. And really the next couple of weeks are all we care about. We're just trying to get into and win the playoffs. Indeed. 
All right, let's uh, move on to some. Uh, we definitely had some IDPs get dinged up uh, last week, um, uh, so this might affect things as we head into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, there were, you mentioned Von Miller. Um, he sprained his knee and was placed on injured reserve. He's out at least four games, if not more. Um, Charles Harris on Detroit, defensive end linebacker, landed on injured reserve with a groin injury, and he's out at least four games. Defensive end Ashawn Robinson of the Rams, um, he got a knee injury, landed him on uh, injured reserve, out four games. And that coincides with defensive tackle Aaron Donald sustaining a high ankle sprain. And he's out this week and could be shut down for the rest of the season. That's to keep an eye on that one. So the, I had mentioned earlier that the Rams defense is, is just devastated by injuries and, and falling apart. Well, this is right in the center and right in the gut of that defense is where they're hurting the most. Linebacker Cole Holcomb on Washington has missed uh, numerous games with a foot injury. Well, he was finally placed on IR, is out at least four games. Safety Eddie Jackson of Chicago suffered a list frank injury and was placed on season-ending injured reserve. Uh, Cornerback Andrew uh, Booth from Minnesota, the rookie, had a knee surgery and was put on season-ending IR. And safety Chauncey Gardner-Johnson of Philadelphia suffered a lacerated kidney and is out indefinitely. Now, there's two names that I want to uh, mention to you that are coming off of IR. They were designated to return, and one of them is Jordan Davis. Uh, of Philadelphia defensive tackle. His 21-day window opens, and he's now added to that group of defensive linemen that you mentioned. And also safety uh, DB Logan Ryan of Tampa Bay is has returned to practice from IR, and his 21-day window has opened. And with Antoine Winfield suffering a possible second concussion, that's a huge move, something to keep an eye on in weeks 14 and 15. Yeah, and so some players to look at, uh, you know, for, for these uh, for these um, replacements. Mm-hmm. If Antoine Winfield does not play, uh, I like um, Keanu Neal. He's been he's been subbing for uh, for for some of their safeties. He's their basically their third safety. Uh, and uh, when Keanu Neal is on the field, he tends to produce for Tampa Bay. Uh, that's just, you know, he's more of a, a tackle heavy, you know, like dime linebacker, if you will. So I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable firing him up uh, if, if I need him this week. You know, if you have yes. Winfield and you're concerned, grab uh, Keanu Neal and you can literally just plug him in when until Winfield gets back. And then once Winfield gets back, you can just swap him back out. Uh, yeah. And then go ahead. Go ahead. He he, Winfield is a Monday night game this week, so it's going to be tough to rely on him, especially with the fact he didn't practice Thursday because of this ankle injury he's dealing with. But you know, there's the concerns of the concussions, and as you mentioned, uh, Neil has been stepping in and filling in very nicely, and with Ryan possibly on the edge of coming back, um, we could see some three safety sets frequently used by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. And then uh, one last one is uh, if you've got Chauncey Gardner Johnson, uh, it looked like it was um, Reed Blankenship who filled in for him last week. Blankenship played uh, basically every snap. uh, Once Gardner Johnson went down, Blankenship did 
not only have uh, six tackles, three souls, he actually had a, a, an interception. Now, Reed Blankenship is a player that they will probably that the offense will probably target. I know they are in a run heavy, you know, matchup against the Titans, but my guess is they're going to try to find ways to get uh, Blankenship to um, decide between uh, helping cover AJ Brown or possibly Devonte Smith. Blankenship seems like a very good player. Um, uh, his issue is that he he lacks that top end speed that you'd want for a deep safety. This may make Marcus Epps play a little deeper, and they may try to use Blankenship a little closer to try to mitigate that. But I, I'm I I could not imagine that um, the Titans aren't going to look at this as an opportunity to exploit a matchup. Uh, so I'm happy to fire out uh, Reed Blankenship because I'm expect him to get picked on a lot. And if it happens like it did last week, he might end up with some big plays for us. One one last note before we we finish off this podcast today, and and that's this is the time of year where injured reserve becomes it, it's like candy to these uh, men general managers and a player like Aaron Donald, who has a high ankle sprain can come back in week seven, 16 or 17. They could just say to hell with it. We're going to shut him down for the season. We don't want to risk uh, moving forward. Our season is lost anyways. So you've got to be really mindful of, of teams that are not in the playoff hunt teams that are, are looking at uh, rookies and they'll use the IR with with a player of a lot more frequently now than they would, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And you also have to take into consideration that if you're in a redraft, well, it doesn't matter. If you get somebody goes on IR, get rid of them. But if you're in a dynasty or a keeper league or some kind of semi-dynasty keeper league, then these players, their injuries, you have to really pay attention to the injuries and just how serious it is. When you got like an Andrew Booth who had surgery, well, okay, he's going to be out for quite a while. Whereas a guy like Aaron Donald, high ankle sprain, he can rest it for six months and he's back in being Aaron, Aaron Donald. All right, that'll wrap it up for us here. We, uh, we're going to get Thomas back to bed. It's still, uh, I don't think the sun's even out over there in Seattle So <laughs> this morning. Uh, Thomas, thanks so much uh, for, for getting up early and, and hanging with me. Good luck, everyone, in week 13. We will see you next week as we start to uh, open the door to the fantasy playoffs. Be well and be safe. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com. Fantasy Points.